you do have this preconceived notion that this is a, a hosh posh of like, and I'm just like, no, actually a lot of doulas are within the community to serve the community, um, to make sure that just because you want it to, you live well, you want to die well. And you, right. you really want a good death. That, 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 when you say like a good death, that's what you want. You only, you only get one time. So literally it's like being in the community to service the community. So they can, they can, um, be educated and then share it. That, that, for me, that's what it is all about because you don't, I don't have a second time. I don't have a, the second time to die. Welcome back to I'm the Villain. Today, we are going to be talking about a topic that is very close to me because this is like kind of the industry that I'm trying to go into, but we're going to talk um, with Ashley Johnson, who is a death doula. I've been so excited because we've had a birth doula on the show, but we haven't had a death doula on yet, um, which is something I've been hoping to do. So why don't Ashley, you just um, tell our audience anything you think they should know about you. Hey, everybody. I'm Ashley here based in Central Florida, end of life doula. I've been in the death industry for over 10 years. And I want to let you know that death is not as taboo as you think. Well, I'm kind of curious. In Florida, because I just associate it with like, you know, people go there retire. Is there a more, uh, would you say that the culture there is like more open or less open because there's like probably just so much a, a higher population of older people? Right, right, right. Um, Florida is a melting pot. Right. So, you know, from here in Florida, we have people from everywhere. Uh, it's very diverse. Even though we are South, it's definitely, I don't, I can't say it's like strictly Southern. Right. Um, so we definitely have a lot of open-mindedness. But yes, there is a, a lot of old people. They do come here to retire right. and baby boomers, baby. I'm, you know, with being in this field, I'm very thankful for baby boomers because baby boomers are the one that uh, they, the wellness, they started the whole wellness trend when they were our age. Um, they, they are, they are, I would like to say in a, the nicest way, they are like movers and shakers. They, they were the ones that would go against the rule, go against the grain. Um, and now that as they are aging, they're moving to Florida, their whole mindset is, I've lived great. I want to die great. Mm -hmm. So it does, that does help um, with baby boomers. Um, now, the generation after that, um, right before, like in, in the in-between, that's like to get comfortable with talking about death and then moving on. But baby boomers are a strong contributor of like being comfortable with talking about death. Right. I, I am somebody who's really interested in this because I am trying to go into, you know, the end of life and funeral space. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm just to give you some background on how I got into it. I was just not actually like, you know, really independently interested in end of life stuff at all. But I had mm -hmm. a friend come to me who knew that I was trying to start a business. And I had had an experience where I had done like a one of those accelerator programs or not, not like an accelerator, but it was basically one of those competitions that was hosted by Techstars, which is one of the, the big accelerators. And they like had one of these like 48 hour, you know, start a business like competition type things. Right. And right. I had, and I had been trying to start a totally different thing. I'd been trying to start a tech business and I had 
a pretty bad experience with like the the actual engineers so after mm-hmm. that experience i was like oh you know like i don't want to have to be beholden to having a programmer you know for my business i want to do something that's like a more of a physical thing so then i had a friend come to me who was like you know what you should really consider doing caskets because he had had an uncle who had just died and his dad was in charge of planning the funeral so then i started like you know kind of just doing some research on caskets and the funeral industry i joined the funeral consumers alliance and like there was just all kinds of like things that just i started in my opening my eyes to about like wow like it's crazy how kind of how much power like funeral homes have and i was just like start it just really started pushing me in all these different directions of like okay like i had originally thought to do caskets but now i'm starting to realize that there's so much need in all of these other areas of like you know there are so there are so little education around like you know green burial and like the environmental impacts and like right, you know right, just right. educating people to start pre-planning and like you know that being a very emotional thing for people in of itself and so like yeah so then i just started like going to death cafes and getting a lot more interested in like the just the space in general you know right 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 that's yeah. honestly that's that's a good path to be right. on right. um but it does you getting familiar with that it it makes you more comfortable to talk about death. So with DeAndre, like it's great that you have a partner that's comfortable with death or not comfortable with death, but comfortable to speak about it because uh, being in that type of environment, the more we talk about it, the less taboo it is. And I do get the fear of the unknown because I can't tell you what's beyond that veil, but what I can do is just make you feel comfortable and, and, and the environment while we approach it. It's kind of like birth. We don't know what's going to happen, but I can I can make a soothing environment. I definitely relate to birth doulas a lot because with birth doulas, I have to be patient. I have to be an open listener. I it we work our our practices and our philosophies do go hand in hand, um, as with birth and with death. So I I definitely get the anxiety and hesitation that a lot of people experience. That um, there was a study that was done about a lot of uh, don't don't quote me on the actual numbers, but the conversation project they did a study, and with that study it said that a lot of a lot of people know that we have to plan about end of death, but not a lot of people actually do it, um, and that's where we run into a loophole. And during a pandemic like now, since we're not preparing, we're, a lot of people haven't prepared for it. We're running into that loophole. So now I don't know what you want. Like your partner would not know what you want, would like to do for life, life-saving treatments and things like that. So going to death cafes and educating yourself, it, it definitely helps ease anxiety. Like I've been in the death care industry for over 10 years. So I'm still, there's still things that shock me when it comes to di- death and dying. Um, I will, I'm never going to say I am a master at death and dying. I'm always going to be a student. Um, but like, yeah, sorry. I was just like, the more you talk about it, the less, the more comfortable you become. Yeah. Well, how did you get into it? I got into it. I literally, um, long story short, I, as a, as a kid, instead of reading the Sunday funny, the Sunday funnies, you know, the comics and things like that. I would like to read the obituaries and I would just like to know their stories, the people, you know, 
they had stories and families and things like that. And so as I grew up, I ended up getting into when I went to school, I started studying forensics because I was like, maybe I'll do mass crime scenes. And then from there, I graduated. I started to work in a morgue. Um, and then it just prolonged from there to the I was in the death care industry for over 10 years. And when a near and dear friend of mine got diagnosed at, with colon cancer at the age of 27, um, she took us all by surprise because she had stage four. I literally stepped in and, and I was doing the work of a doula without even realizing it was the work of a doula, you know, sitting by your bed and just talking to you, preparing for if we don't, if it does not go the way we don't want, like if it doesn't go the way we want it to go and things like that. Um, and then when she transitioned, I was like, wow, other people actually need this. Other people, so they don't, they're not afraid. They have somebody, they know that they have somebody there on the other side or somebody here and on the other side to help them and feel comfortable with all the unknown that's going on. So that's literally what propelled me to become an end of life doula. So you actually do work in the death care industry for your full-time job. Cause I know a lot of people who do end of life doula work as like a volunteer thing on the side and then they do something totally separate for their day job, right? Yeah, so I did death care industry. I was in the death care industry 10 years, still in it, obviously in end of life doula. Um, during this pandemic, I actually work at the hospital. So oh, wow. that's right. So I'm working at the hospital as well as being an end of life doula. Okay. And is that is your like your is your hospital situation is it like a well resourced hospital? Is it getting hit really hard? Like what's the what's the situation? It, it's definitely getting very, hit very hard. I'm in Central Florida. So and it is the hub hospital of Central Florida. Damn. So it's definitely a lot of traffic. Um, but, you know, I just literally, I'm, every day is a new day. Like, that's how I, that's how I treat it. I'm like, it's crazy chaotic. I get it. Uh, but if I focus on the pandemic, I don't focus on the quality of my work. And I want to make sure that the quality of my work helps other people. Yeah. So um, in, in the pandemic, mm-hmm you know, working in the hospital, Mm -hmm. is it like, is the nature of your work like, hey, we're, we're pretty sure this person's going to die soon. Do you want to go in there? And like, when you talk to them, do you talk to them like, like, or do you like, help them get comfortable? Do you like help them advocate for your for themselves? Or do you help them like get their affairs in order? Is like kind of all of it? It, Right now with hospital, it's no visitors. Uh-huh. You can't have any visitors, and a lot of the visitation it becomes uh, through Skype, like a mm. type of visitation. And so, what I what I propel to say is that it's great to have your affairs in order before that ever happens. We wish right. we wish that never happens to anybody because, as you know, COVID can take you out within weeks of contract of getting it. Actually, so um, it is then you talk with families. Because now, now I have, you know, you're speaking to the wife, you're speaking to the daughter. Um, what would you want this for your loved one? They're going to be asking you quick questions, like life support type of questions. And it's, and it's, you're already in a state, a heightened state. So let's, let's talk about that before it gets to that level. So it's a, a peace of mind. Mm-hmm. When you, in your usual work, like, you know, not during a pandemic, is your do you typically meet um you know meet with the family meet with people kind of like earlier like before it gets to a point where you know like 
things might end in the next couple of days. Oh, yeah, totally. That's honestly, um, with millennials, like, we, I meet with millennials more often than not, actually. It, they're healthy. Healthy millennials yeah. just want to get it out of the way. It's just like a curious taboo thing. So I'm kind of, I kind of want to learn about it um, to get it out the way because, you know, we never know what may happen. Um, I, so I meet with healthy, I meet with the elderly, I am meeting with people that have six months to live or six people that just recently got diagnosed and only have weeks to live. So it's a, it's a whole spectrum of when I go in to meet someone, there's times where I have met someone bedside Mm -hmm. because the family, they don't want them to die alone, but they can't see their loved one in that state. That they don't want that to be the last moment that they have with their loved one, so right. I'm I'm just there bedside, like holding a hand, holding space for that loved one. Wait, so I'm a little confused. Is the hospital paying you to do doula work, or are you in also working in a hospital, like as a nurse or something? Right, both. Like I okay. I do work in the hospital, and I am contracted with people, and they and their loved ones go to the hospital. So I Got I it. do work at the hospital. So it's a little, a little bit of both. So, cause I feel like normally if they're allowing no visitors right now, they like, even if a family wanted a doula to come and be with this person, they probably wouldn't allow it. Right. And at the same time, that person that's in the hospital, they are, they can be deemed as not in their sane, their sane mind state because you are under stress and duration. You're under uh, medication. And to me, making decisions about your end of life care under that much stress, it can, can be a little iffy. So usually when I am called, I'm, I'm working directly with the family. And I work with, since I work at the hospital, I can work with the hospital to get those calls and, you know, the Skype calls in more frequently and things like that. So it seems like your position is actually a really unique situation because for the most part, right. it right, really is. doulas don't really get that is. kind of access to they the hospital, don't. right? They don't. I, wow. It's a really fortunate situation that I can, I'm on, I can shadow both, both uh, the fence. I can shadow the fence. Like I am there professionally because um, I do work there professionally, but I can, I'm the advocate. When you hire me, I'm the advocate for you. So I'm going to do everything in my power and use my resources in my network to see what I can do so you can feel comfortable seeing your loved one and your loved one can feel comfortable seeing you and knowing that they're not alone, even though they're in a room and, you know, and it's a panicked state, but they can still see you and may not hear you or, you know, whatever, but they can see you and feel comforted. Right. Um, is it, is it rare for hospitals to have an end of life doula on staff or well, it is, is very that... rare? It's Got extremely it. rare. Um, I'm fortunate that uh, the hospital that I work at, they do have a hospice care, but it is very rare to have a end of life doula on staff. I've, I've actually never heard of that ever. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy because literally doulas are here to fill in the gap. Like I'm here, I'm there literally to fill in the gap because you got to, the hospice, they only can spend so much time with you. A doctor can only spend so much time with you before he has to move on. Um, I'm, yes, I, it's a non-medical, doulas are non-medical. Um, but since I do have a little bit of a medical background, I'm able to translate things to the family so I, to make it more layman's term. 
Um, I'm able to be that middle, that middle person to say, hey, I know it sounded like gibberish what the doctor just said, but this is this was what he meant. Yada, yada, yada. This is the state of your loved one. Blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm able to stay there longer than what a hospice personnel is able to do. I work with hospice, like we work hand in hand, I'm communicating with them. um, So there's no tension. uh, But I'm not so I'm not stepping on their feet. But I just let them know that I'm advocating for my client and their family. Right. Not it's not a business for me. It's literally I'm advocating for them. Is it hard to mix? Or is it hard to like walk the line of, you know, like, advocating hard logistics? And also, like trying to comfort people in a really in a really stressful situation. Um, I I would say it's dealing with emotion is hard, and then with a family, it's everybody has different emotions. Mm-hmm. At processing it, um, transparency helps me. I I can only as transparent as I am. That helps a whole situation because therefore we have. That's how I'm able to process and delegate what's all going on with the with being transparent is it difficult with the hospital because is there any kind of dynamic where they're like well we need all hands on deck right now we can't have you doing this doula stuff because we need you to be like being a nurse like is that something because i feel like so many of the situations that i've heard of is that hospitals sometimes will understand the value of doula work but then you know there are definitely some that are like oh you're getting in the way oh you're like you know not we don't want you here. You know what I mean? Yeah, I haven't faced that. But also because I'm transparent, I come in here and I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm an extension of their family. So I, I put on another hat. I'm not just like, you know, I'm not Ashley that's working at this hospital. I'm Ashley, Ashley, that's a, like an extended family member uh, for X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Wow. So is your hospital really progressive? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it, but you know, I, because I am very thankful. I'm very thankful. I'm very blessed in the situation that I'm in. Um, but I'm also like, you talk to other doulas, end of life doulas, and they're not. And it's, it's, it's a whole platform to try to integrate doulas into the hospitals and other hospice and palliative care facilities, because research is, research is showing that extra help and assistance catering towards the family, it helps the the person that is dying transition smoother without the stress. If just having medical jargon and, and beeping sounds, because usually a lot of people, they prefer to die at home. They, that's, they don't want to, they don't prefer to die in a hospital or a hospice. They want to be at home with loved ones. So as much as I can make that comfortable for them to feel home is and a hospital or hospice environment, that's what I that's what I do. Because it's the kind of thing where I feel like once you tell people what it's all about and once people have had the experience, they're like, oh, yeah, this is so necessary. But it's just right. so foreign to so many people it's, that they don't understand the value foreign. of it Like right. you know, when they first hear about it, right? Right. It, you don't understand the value of it. And I, and I think is the more people become familiar with end-of-life doulas, the more they'll see the value. And how it helps everybody all the way around. Like, you know, so you, you're helping the family. So they're not asking the nurse 1 million questions 
the or the LPN that's with the uh, hospice, uh, one million questions and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I'd love to talk a little bit about just you and like your um like your personal connection to death. And you, so you said you've been you've been kind of like interested in death since you were a child and you were reading the obituaries. Um, where do you think like wh where do you think that came from? Is you, is your family like is your family religious or spiritual? Like, did you talk about death growing up or you just had this kind of natural fascination with it? Um, growing up, death is, it was pretty much, I would say a national, uh, it was a fascination. It was, it was something that you're just curious about for me. Um, my family is spiritual, uh, but I definitely with doula work. I do not influence my religious beliefs onto my family's religious beliefs not whatsoever i'm really agnostic i i believe that at the door and um i respect whatever they do believe in uh but growing up definitely my family was definitely open-minded uh with spirituality uh teaching me all diverse forms of spirituality uh so that helped that also helped i would say not i'm speaking out loud it does help process like uh how my views of death and dying are. Mm -hmm. Was there ever a place that you were like super afraid of it or have you always been kind of like, like feeling like it's just like a natural part of life that you're not intimidated by? I can't say I'm not intimidated by uh, death, but I can, I'm just naturally, I understand that death is a part of life. Mm -hmm. And being a death doula, I would probably tell you that 90% of us, because we are at that point that we understand that death is a part of life, we live life to the fullest. It's like right. you have those, like, honestly, people think death doulas are the ones with the Grim Reaper. You know, we're like hand in hand with the Grim Reaper, but we're actually not. We we actually see the, the simple, simplest things and think it's great. And we want to enjoy the moment because you're, you're, you, you're not going to get that same moment, that same intensity ever again. So even on crazy crappy days i'm i'm up like my energy is up i in my experience and i would i'm really curious to hear whether you have you know feel the same way about this i really do feel like a lot of the people who are attracted to doing work that basically involves a high level of emotional labor right because like it's so this is like one of the jobs is basically the top of the list for that, right? Yeah, yeah. I feel like so often the types of people who are drawn to that kind of work are themselves very empathetic. Mm -hmm. And I think another kind of a byproduct of that is that often like the people who are the most empathetic are also the people who like it's so much easier to burn out because you're just taking on all of this kind of, you know, this weight yep. right yep. from all of these different families that you're helping right so yeah what are your thoughts on that i agree it's it is you are uh being a, a doula is is selfless uh, because you're giving because at the these are people's last moments these are people's last moments on this plane these are people's last moments with their loved one so you are giving a lot but you need to have balance coming into the work you have to have balance when i go in here i give my all and I, but I know that I can't pour from an empty cup. So when I leave and I'm 
I am full of an emotion when somebody transitions. I am. And I know that you have to, you have to grow like for me and other dealers. I work grounding a lot of grounding, a lot of meditation. There's sound bowls, like to get our frequencies to release and then to fill back up. So it's like a lot of implementations of that. Like I do a lot of grounding. I, I like barefoot walking around in the park, uh, sound bowls for sure to help me, um, to help me fill myself right back up and to be grateful for what I do have so I can be better, like, you know, not better, but I'm able to help another family. So yeah, it, it's definitely a labor. It is a laborious, emotionally laborious. And we definitely, mental health is big for us. So we definitely have like mental health advocates that we do talk to because we do, you have to unload. If grounding is not helping me, I, I do have a, a team that can help me mentally unload and I can be right back to where I was to help other people. Mm -hmm. So where do you see your, <clears throat> your career going as you progress? Like, is this, is this kind of what you want to be doing or is there, is there a next step for you in terms of end of life dueling? Um, honestly, uh, for being an end of life doula, I definitely see it growing. Uh, especially this with this pandemic, I've received so many more phone calls about death and dying. And my whole thing is education, because when you're educated on something, it helps. It reduces the stress and anxiety. So I'm, I, I can't stop. I don't know the hour or the manner how everybody will die or transition. But I can tell you I can't help you become more calm about it and more accepting of it. Um, mm -hmm. So I do see this as a long going stance and my whole platform is to educate, 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 um, because I want it to now to no longer be a taboo topic. Right. If anything, I, that right. would be such a good silver lining of this like horrific event is that more and more people seek out that knowledge and start realizing that it's something that they should know more about. Right. Because you start knowing your rights then, you know, yeah. then you start saying like, you know, I know like when the funeral home industry, they do have a lot of power. You know, a lot of things people don't know, something as simple as you don't have to get embalmed. A lot of people think that's a law that you have to yeah. get embalmed. But the more you know, you can say, hey, I don't want my loved one embalmed. I actually want them to be, you know, I want to have a home wake where I wash them. We have a, a ceremony at the house. We, you know, we, I, I wrap them up and we have a, a natural uh, green burial. And right. people, these are things you don't know, but it, it helps with closure though. Things like that, like home links, they do help with closure. So being a, a doula, I definitely see this as a long-term thing. And my platform is to educate people. Yeah. I recently like learned a lot and you actually probably know a ton about this. I think is when I've talked about this before about how, um, you know, the funeral industry and in the U.S. has really kind of, yeah, like obviously taken agency away from, from people and families about how their dead are treated, but kind of like taken a thing that used to be very much a, an opportunity to like get that closure and say goodbye to your family member. And that was something that you and your family did yourself. Right. You know, it was like, right. it was an opportunity that, that like for you to like, you know, just like be with the person, be with, like be with the body and um and it was like it was a very intimate moment and now like we the i think a lot of people don't realize that 
and because we now inter- interface with death, with death in such a, a very like sterile, right, kind of staged way, and I think all of that you're very right actually is like what can what contributes to to it feeling like such a taboo topic because we handle it behind closed doors now yep. too, right? Yep, and it especially like interweaves with a lot of the things that we've been talking about from like a Black Lives Matter perspective, from an LGBT rights perspective, yep. because like those are so often like not only, you know, have we kind of gotten to a point where this is now this like very sterile environment, like there's not as much intimacy, I think, as we've had in both previous periods of history and in other parts of the world. But like there's there's also just so much educating that needs to be done around like how do you deal with traumatic deaths? How do you not dead name people? Like, you know, there's, yeah. you know, there's so many of those, those, those elements that that's, that's even like one step beyond just thinking about death period. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I learned this wild thing. So my partner, she watches a YouTuber and I, and I can't remember this YouTuber's name. Maybe I'll find it so we can put her in the show notes, but she makes like, she works in the death industry and makes like death education content. I think on you're YouTube. definitely yeah. talking about Caitlin Dowdy. Yeah. Yes, right? Caitlin yeah. Dowdy, 100%. Yeah. Yes, 100%. Yeah. And she, you all, you, then you, you all know her and probably have seen this video where she was talking about how important it was when, like, black people started creating their own, their own graveyards and funeral homes mm-hmm. in, like, you know, the turn in, like, the um, early 1900s because it was something that had been, like, stripped away from the African-American community once, you know, when, like, we were brought here as slaves. And it was something that was so important mm-hmm. to like the Africans and how they handled their dead. Very and it was like so. one of the ways. Yep. Yeah, it was like one of the ways that we strip people of their power. Yeah, I agree. Um, because that's a when you go back into like with dueling or death dueling, a lot of cultures, indigenous cultures around the world, uh, are comfortable with death. They look at death as a celebration of life. So we're having celebrations, rituals. Of, of the death um, because we're immortalizing their life and their spirit. And what Western culture, it has dramatically changed the scope of how we look at death. So I totally agree with you. It's like it stripped it, it stripped the indigenous part away and it made it hush hush. Um, like you said, we were doing funerals and wakes in houses. We, that that and that was a family thing. Um, we did it in houses. They didn't remove the body. We were still connected from the time the last breath until the time the last the grain of sand was over the loved one. So it's definitely something that we need to get back to that state. Uh, with because without it, it becomes more and more. People get more and more anxiety, and they feel like they don't have power over their loved one once they die. And you feel like you don't have power. You will. You don't have any power once you die. So now I get. I get. I'm afraid. Now I'm going to go to this strange place. They're going to like wash my body. They, they're going to poke and <laughs> yeah. probe. They're going to poke me. At strange, strange chemicals, and things like that. Instead of just feeling like, okay, I'm gonna be in my. I'm going to be in my room. I'm going to be surrounded by like lavender. You know, my puppy's going to be on the bed with me. I'm going to have like you know this type of music playing, and you know, family just in silence around me but like energy vibrating high around me. And now that painting that type of picture, you're like calm because now you feel in a safe environment now. And knowing that you've already made your arrangements that when I transition, my family's going to go ahead and wash my body. 
They're not. I'm not mm-hmm. immediately going to get taken away in a in a strange car. They're gonna, I'm going to be here. They're going to cool me down and keep me preserved while I have other visitors from other parts of my family come say their goodbyes. You know, things mm-hmm. like that. It makes it more peaceful, tranquil. Right. I I really would love to ask about. I think that this is something, especially doula work, is something that is seen. I think as being very inaccessible to people right because especially like birth doula right when i think birth doula is kind of like farther ahead in terms of like the wave right 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 of first it was something that people were just doing on a volunteer basis right and then now there's so you're seeing more and more birth doulas who are getting paid full time to do the work that they're doing right and it's just because it's kind of crossing the line of like legitimacy of like being seen as a as an actual job that you will pay money for right? right and I, I definitely feel like there's one challenge that is really difficult for like the entire doula community to grapple with is how do you get this service, which is often so much more needed by people who are in like minority communities and vulnerable communities, right? Because they're the ones who are more likely to get worse, you know, medical treatment and like you right. know, treatment from a funeral home, how to get that service to the people who need it most because it is very much seen as like this luxury that like, oh, yeah. you know, like lot, you're just yeah. a rich white woman getting a birth doula, like look at you. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. A lot of people, they do have that perspective of you have to have money or to have, even to have to have money to get your affairs in order. But, you know, they think that, oh, I have to go to a lawyer to get my will drawn up and things like that. And, I, and I'm here to educate you. I'm like, no, you don't have to go to a lawyer to get your will drafted or if you decide to change your will you don't have to go to a lawyer if you want feel free do so um but it is not a luxury and i think that's my whole thing is to educate people um of their options of of things like that because you do think this you do have this preconceived notion that this is a a hosh posh of like and i'm just like no actually a lot of doulas are within the community to serve the community um to make sure that just because you want it to you live well, you want to die well. And you, right. you really want a good death. That, 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 when you say like a good death, that's what you want. You only, you only get one time. So literally, it's like being in the community to service the community so they can, they can um, be educated and then share it. That, that, for me, that's what it is all about. Because you don't, I don't have a second time. I don't have a, the second time to die. One thing that I have been grappling with on this front in terms of just like for my own for my own self in terms of like, you know, wanting to go into this industry is it's something that I feel like is one really central tension of it is like making money doing this thing that's helping people. Because I think that it's something that we have almost divorced in our society. We assume that if someone is making money off of something that is inherently exploitative, right? And that if you are doing something that's mission driven, right, that it's got to be a nonprofit, right? Or that you can't have a profit motive to it, right? And I think recently we are seeing more and more of a shift towards believing that you could have these like socially mission driven for-profit companies. But it's something that I feel like if we live in our ideal society, right? Like, it is kind of a sad thing, right, that that so much of the work that's done by both birth doulas and end-of-life doulas is something that was previously done 
by people's families, right? right? And we live in a world now where we are more alienated from our families and we don't always live in the places where we grew up, right? And have people there to do that for us. So I'm, I'm just curious to hear your thoughts around what I think is like kind of a central conundrum to the types of this type of work in general, right? The type of work where you're helping people, which I think is honestly, if we're moving towards a society like really big picture where there's going to be more automating of jobs, right? This is the exact kind of work that I think is the most fulfilling work for people mm -hmm. to be doing, right? Yeah. And how to reconcile that with this concept of like basically just being in this capitalist system that is so inherently exploitative in so many ways, right? To right. kind of like genuinely be able to believe in helping people in this way right but we also know that we have to survive and like we want in order for this for you know being end-of-life doula to thrive which i think it, it's it's i'm hopeful that it will get there right, right. in the right. same way that i'm hopeful that we'll get to a point where we start valuing other types of like non like typically economically valued work like being a mother right you know is that I'm just really curious from your perspective, is that the ideal world that we want to move towards, assuming that, you know, we're going to continue being under capitalism? You know what I mean? Yeah, because <laughs> um, yeah, there's a fine line. I'll tell you right now, um, a lot of doula work, I'm fortunate again, a lot of doula work is volunteer based. Um, so people are really helping people for the strength of the cause to make sure that they have a good death. Uh, but within that same, you, I definitely see that you can, you can be great at helping people and just not be greedy. Like, I don't want to be that. I, I forbid any, my organization or the people that I am associated with as in other doulas to feel greedy, to get on people's, uh, to, to prey on people's emotions, to, to, to pay more for our services and things like that. Um, I, I, me personally, I'm like, karma is going to come back and get you yeah. one way or another. Like you can't, you can't be that way without having to pay karma. But um, I do feel that it, it will be, doula work will be a self-sufficient career um, as people start to be more progressive and the more progressive thoughts. Like I told you, baby boomers, they help they help kick off the fact of you do need an end of life doula because we lived great. We want to die great. Now millennials are coming in and I, I might be biased, but I love us. Um, but <laughs> we, we, we were taking jobs and we make them. We're actually making our own jobs. And I, but that type of mentality, like I, I may have a job here in central Florida, but I'm running a company in Seattle. Like, that's the type of, so I, I like that type of mindset that we do have that. So I can, I'm in a sense, I can see it being a long-term, like we think outside the box, we're always going to be creative and death is not going to go anywhere, but we just really want to make sure since it's not going anywhere, we want to make sure it's the best thing that we can give somebody like their best, their, their best last bow. We want to make sure that they get it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I definitely, not trying to, you know, not making a million bajillion dollars, but I think the payment is actually like having happy people as like humanity. That's the thing is like uh, just being human as, as if you would want your, if your mother was staying in Denver and you're in Texas, 
you would want somebody to take care of her as if they were that they were her mother, like if that was their mother. So just that part of just being in a human. Uh, like here in Florida, because this whole pandemic, a group of us, as with loyal hand, the doulas, we would go grocery shopping for the elderly and the sickly because of, you know, a lot of people were gouging prices and, you know, in stores. If I'm, I can only picture if my elderly grandmother is trying to go get tissue and somebody pushes her out of the way because they, they just want to get 18 packs of tissue. So we like certain things like that. And that, and that helps. That for me, it was payment in itself. But I was like, I, you do a nice deed. Like, you know what I mean? Add that to the list. So when I do cross over, I can be like, hey, you know what I mean? In 2000, in 2020, I was out there in the streets and, you know, please, please consider me. Please consider <laughs> me to the upper room. <laughs> please. Um, but those, those type of deeds, they're, they're payment in itself. So it's definitely being a doula is definitely a word. Like I said, it's selfless. It's full of compassion. Um, it's definitely channeling your energy to make sure that you have levels of empathy and putting yourself in other people's shoes. So in a long haul, I think it, to me, it, it, we're not going to go anywhere. Now it's just the fight that's in us to make sure that we can still fight to make sure that we can be in hospitals and we can be in hospices and people know that it's affordable. People are like, well, I don't have the money. And for us, it's sliding scale. I'm not going to say, you know, oh yeah, you're on a, a, a special income, a subsidized income, and I'm going to charge you your whole income. No, you need to have a good life and you need to have a good death. Like I'm not going to, no, I'm doing this out of the, like my heart. Yeah, I, I love the way you frame that because I do think it really is something that we're doing generationally as we're taking all these assumptions about what you're supposed to do, right? And you being like, no, I'm not going to go work in a cubicle. I'm really going to just evaluate what's really important to me, right? right? And one thing that's super important for people, especially that we're realizing now in this pandemic is having a good death and thinking about what really matters to you and deciding right. when I die, what is going to be the thing that was really my legacy and what was most important to me and spending your time doing that. Right. You know? I'm like, you're, right now we're like socially distant. Right? And that's like a real big thing. And a lot of people are getting stress and anxiety. Like that's a real big thing. And so for us, we put up a platform to help people feel connected. And because you get, you're starting to get a lot of increased suicides. Yeah. And I, and, and I, um, you know, I see people blaming, like a lot of blaming people, like they can't deal with being by themselves. I'm like, it's a whole psyche. If you're not going to be empathetic and step into the shoes of somebody that who's a social butterfly by nature, and you put them in a house for three months and afraid to go outside, that messes with your psyche. So having yeah. programs out there that are free, like, because you got to think of the economy is not a lot, you know, jobs are coming and going. So I'm like having opportunities to have free mental health and free emotional health to deal with what all is going on outside, outside of just thinking of just dying mm -hmm. and, you know, just like literally surviving. Yeah. So just having platforms like that help like with, for us here at Loyal Hands are the humanity of it all.
Ashley, thanks so much for sitting with us today. I have two questions for you. Um, the first one is, do you know how you want, like how you want your body to be handled when you die? I do. I do. I've talked about it already with my loved ones. I know it sounds creepy. Um, that's definitely not something you mentioned on a first date. But uh, my my family is well aware. I have my advanced directives uh, to certain family members to let them know what I want, how I want it, and not the gaudiest way as possible. But they, yeah, it's definitely something nice. I talk think, about. It. You think in natural? Yeah, it's going to be all natural. <laughs> it's going yeah, to be all natural one. And so my second question is, how are you like living? your life to its fullest in the pandemic. <laughs> Just not being afraid. Like taking, mm -hmm. I'm literally taking the joy within the pain that we are experiencing. I, I find a silver lining in everything, everything um, from the thunderstorms to the hurricane to this pandemic, because this pandemic is bringing awareness of how we need to, you know, come together as a community is bringing together the fact that we're seeing uh, a difference, like, we are, this pandemic is actually bringing to light of, you know, racist things that are happening in this world. It's, it, it's bringing it about. So things like that, you, I'm able to see it. I'm able to advocate um, and use my voice in whatever way, like positive I'm to, to use it in. But uh, yeah, sorry. I'm so sorry. But yeah, sorry. I'm like trying to think of how I'm using because honestly, in this during this pandemic, it is it is like a time for self-reflection for a lot of people. They're able to sit here in isolation and reflect what what is for them, what is not for them and what they what's really a value of life and what's really superficial. So during this pandemic, I'm I, I was able to do so. I'm able to help others do so. Um, and so it's honestly, it's I'm not looking at it as a horrible thing. I literally look at it as it's a it's a hard reset on humanity, mm -hmm. a very hard reset. Yeah. So when I look at it like that, it makes it all the way better. Yeah, that's real. Um, OK, so before we get out of here, is there anything that you want to plug? Yeah, you feel free to follow us on Instagram. Our Instagram is at loyal.hands. Or check out our website at loyal-hands.com. Cool. And as always, if you heard anything you liked or you really hated Ashley or me or Isabel, <laughs> um, let us know at I'm the villain pod at Gmail. Or that is our Gmail, our Instagram, and our Twitter. Otherwise, bye, everyone. <laughs>